It's common to spend hours looking for a therapist only to find a long wait list or that your values don't align. This process can be discouraging and can create even more hurt and despair. Saga Mental Health and Relationship Centers is here as a trusted source to offer a network of vetted and trusted Christian mental health professionals to support you in your journey towards healing and wholeness. As a nonprofit organization, Saga's goal is to help people in need and ensure that they can find a therapist easily and be confident that they will receive wise, biblically-backed counsel to stand against the chaos of today's world. If you need help or know someone who does, go to sagacenter.org. That's www.sagacenter.org. Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. Join us each week as we work to make faith simple. This is Simple Faith. Well, hi, everyone. I'm your host, Rusty George. Welcome to Simple Faith. I want to thank our friends at Saga Counseling for sponsoring the show. SagaCounseling.com does an incredible job of helping meet your mental health needs, relational needs, marriage and family therapy needs. Just go to Saga, S-A-G-A, Counseling.com whenever you need it and also from wherever you are. This is one of the biggest questions that I get asked all the time is where can I find a good Christian counselor? Well, search no longer. Saga Counseling can help. So make sure you check them out, sagacounseling.com. Well, today we're kicking off a kind of a brand new style of our show. We recognize that with Leading Simple, we were trying to do two things at once, help you with your faith and help you with your leadership. So we're going to divide that up a little bit. And so some weeks you're going to get Simple Faith and other days you'll get Leading Simple, but all here on this subscription. And I'm thanking you right now for subscribing. And if you haven't, please make sure that you do. But today we're going to have a conversation with a friend of mine who is also the founding pastor of Real Life Church and now the lead pastor at Southeast Christian Church, one of the largest churches in the world. Kyle Eidelman is a renowned pastor, author, and speaker, and I'm honored to call him a friend. And he has written a new book entitled, When Your Way Isn't Working. So I knew this was such good stuff after recording it. I thought this needs to be the first episode we ever air for Simple Faith. Because yes, we're going to talk some leadership stuff at the beginning, but then towards the end, we're going to get into some really great stuff about simple faith when it comes to understanding how to follow God when your way isn't working. Well, thanks again to Saga Counseling. Thank you to you for listening. And here's my conversation with Kyle Eidelman. Kyle Eidelman, welcome back to the program. It's an honor to have you with us. Um, Last time we talked, it was a lot of fun reminiscing about (laughs) the old days of uh, supply preaching. (laughs) I don't know if anyone else enjoyed it, but I sure did. (laughs) Well, and I think I texted you because I drove by the sign for that church where you oh, used yeah. to be, yes. the Church of Perseverance or whatever. That's exactly I, it. I thought, yeah. I know who used to mow that lawn. That's It's real. It's a real uh, place. Man. So, okay, you've been at Southeast now for over 20 years. Man, it does not seem like it's been that long. Um, what do you know now that you wish you knew then when you rolled in 20 years ago at the ripe age of, what, 27 or something like that? Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, yeah, I, it, it has gone by 
pretty quickly. I think the, I think I'm trying to answer that question in a way that doesn't sound overly cliche. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, because the truth is, what was frustrating to me in the early years there had more to do with my immaturity than some things happening here in the church. Like I just underestimated, okay, here's the, here's how change happens. Here's what things look like in three years or in five years. And so I, as a 27 year old coming here, what I, I think I talked to you a little bit about this at the time, but I would be frustrated about certain things because my ideas about timing were immature. It was like, okay, it's been six months. Why hasn't this changed? Why are we still doing this? And why won't we address th this over here? And so I, I wanted to be a part of some transition and some change here. I felt like that's one of the reasons God had brought me to this church. Um, and what I know after 20 years is that it's part of the process. Like it, a lot happened. It just didn't happen you know, as quickly or as immediately as I I might have wanted it to at the time. So to kind of get our our listeners in the headspace you were in, I mean, you were you were coming into a church that was roughly thirty years old at the time, maybe a little bit longer. You had the the seasoned veteran and Bob Russell who'd been there for that long, but then you had the heir apparent waiting on taking Bob's job in in Dave Stone, and you were going to be the guy to take Dave's place in this ascension. And it, it was a huge idea. How do we have a hundred year, you know, run as a church that just makes incredible impact? And you guys are are close to doing that, but you know, you come in as that third tier guy with you're the young guy with all the creative ideas. Was it weird with two guys above you that you kind of thought, well, I'm kind of third in line here? Or did you feel like you had a voice immediately? You already mentioned that it was tough to get change to happen. Did you feel listened to, I guess is what I'm asking. I, I did. I, I think Bob and Dave both were incredibly gracious to include me in conversations that, in hindsight, I f might have felt entitled to be a part of, but that was not true <laughs> like mm, you know yeah. i recognize now looking back on it that it was incredibly uh intentional and kind of them to let me be at the table i i've been in elder meetings and been an elder here since i came right and in our context that's pretty significant wow. uh to to be in on on those conversations and to have a seat at the table and to be able to talk through some of you know some of those things the dynamic which was you know interesting and there's not been a lot of examples of this where you know dave as the heir parent had a relationship with some of the longtime members that would be a little bit like um, a, a child, like a son or a daughter, you know, where um, expectations and pressures from a parent might be significant. I came in and had a little bit of a relationship as a grandchild. And I, as a new grandparent, I can tell you that grandkids get away with a lot more. Right. And so, Part of the the genius of this, of having kind of three generations in there at the same time, is that it allows the the third generation or the, kind of the grandchild to get away with some things um, 
and, and change and transition that takes the pressure off of the second generation leader. Mm. And I'm not saying it would work this way in any context, but for us, whether that was strategic or not, I, I don't know, but that was certainly a, a reality. So I'm, I'm remembering when you rolled in there, they were still wearing suits, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I got to believe, because I remember when you called me, you said, I'm thinking about taking this job. And I said, you're going to have to wear suits again. You don't want to take that job. And now I'm glad you did because I got to go to real life. But <laughs> um, th this whole battle, that's just one of the things that you were probably trying to update them on. Um, and little things like dress code, uh, worship styles, uh, you know, those kind of things. There's a, a what's become a famous famous story among pastors about your conversation <laughs> with Bob Russell and could you wear something other than a suit and tie? Do you remember that? Can you share that with us? I, you know, I do remember. He tells it so well, that, <laughs> and I'm glad he tells it because I I would not have shared that very you know openly. Maybe you and I behind closed doors, but but he right. tells it thankfully, and um, so I knew coming into this that this was a, a big deal and I knew trying to transition out of a suit and tie on, on the weekend um, would be a sensitive thing. And I talked to some people who had had conversations with Bob about that in the past to know that he had kind of this go-to uh, way of talking talking about why suit and ties were appropriate, that he would, he would say, hey, if you, if you were going to meet the president, um, you'd wear a suit and tie. You'd wear a suit and tie to meet the president. If, if you'd go to the president and you'd wear a suit and tie for him, then, then how much more should you, should you be dressed up, you know, the presence of God when you come to church? And so I knew that that was coming. I'd been <laughs> prepared for it. So in my mind, I had worked on an answer. Like I knew what my answer was going to be. And so I go into his office to talk about it and to say, hey, you know, I'm so honored to preach here. I, I know this doesn't seem like a big deal. I don't want to make it a big deal. It's just, you know, it's just clothes. I get all of that. And I'm honoring, want to be honoring to, um, to the tradition, all of those things. I said, but, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it's difficult for me and here's why. And he, so then he gave that explanation. Um, <laughs> hey, if you were going to go see the president, wouldn't you wear? And, and so I was ready for it. And I said, well, you know, I, if I went to the president and the president was my dad, then I wouldn't feel like I had to wear a suit and tie. <laughs> and uh, I kind of went through that. And to his credit, and if you know Bob, you can hear him do this. You know, he kind of he kind of laughed at my answer and said, "Okay, okay." And he gave me the blessing, said, "Go for it." <laughs> and it was, it was wow. Like, I walked out and I was like, "What? What just happened?" <laughs> and. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm thankful he tells that story. He tells it better than I do. Oh, that is a great story. And I love hearing it from your perspective. Uh, no, what I'm fascinated by is, I mean, this is Bob Russell. I mean, he's a legend. This is a huge and he's decision intimidating, for him. by the way. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yes. Um, but yeah, but here you are asking this question, and he changes on a on a dime. He doesn't say, well, hold on, let me think about that. Or that's... You know, you're over your skis on this one. Um, did did he have a, a tendency to change his mind that quickly, or did he often need time to process? I I I don't know because I haven't talked to him about it 
<laughs> and and I'm guessing he's not listening to this. <laughs> no offense. No, I don't I mean, think he's maybe a subscriber. He is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think he probably recognized that that was the direction things were going and did not want that to be divisive, nor did he want that to feel like a battle that we needed to fight or work our way through after he transitioned out, that if it was going to change, he understood the wisdom of it's better for it to change on my on my watch. He's the one who'd kind of held that standard. And so mm. for him uh, to make that change took a lot of pressure off of Dave and uh, off of myself. And I, I, I'm sure he, that was intentional. Boy, that's such a great leadership point there, because I think when we take over a place, when you walk into a new situation, you know people are expecting change. The problem is you haven't earned the the chips to kind of you know spend on that change. And for him to say, I'll take the heat on this one because I've earned the chips, that's a huge gift to you. Have you watched that over the years of the guys that have been there the longer, you know, they, they, they kind of get that uh, grace from the congregation and, and knowing when to spend some of that change? Um, yes, and I don't know that, you know, Bob or, or Dave perhaps as well get enough credit for all the different things like that, mm -hmm. that over 30 years, I mean, we don't think about them because they weren't part of our generational challenges, but, you know, things like switching from a hymn book to a screen, you know, at the time, that was a pretty significant, that was a pretty significant change, right? right. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and like going to an iMag where you, that your image is projected on a, on the side screen, like that was a significant thing. And so uh, it wasn't new to, to him to, you know, be flexible and to recognize, okay, we're not going to have sacred cows. We're not going to major in some of these things. We're going to be flexible. And he, you know, he had taught that to the congregation and he had modeled that. Um, uh, so when we made some of those transitions, you know, there was certainly a history of, of, of that. Okay. And I'm curious, I just thought about this. Um, now you've been there 20 years you've witnessed the transition from Bob to Dave and now to you, and you've been the lead pastor for five, six years, is that right? Uh, yeah, maybe like four years, yeah. Okay. Uh, Feels like right six. Before, right before COVID, right. Dave walked yeah. out. Yeah, exactly There right. you go. <laughs> yeah. um, so are there sacred cows you have now that you feel like people are challenging you on? Mm. Um, that's a good question, and I, I think by nature, I don't recognize my own sacred cows. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, wise. We, like we're 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 not the ones to notice them. So I, I'm sure there are some of those, uh, you know, some of those things. I think one of the ways I feel this is there are certain things that I really like to have a voice in mm. that are not that practical once the church reached a certain number of campuses or certain, like I, I like design and I like programming and I, you know, there are some of these things that are, are things I enjoy and yet I've had to step away from them because even though I enjoy it and even though I feel gifted in it to some degree, 
it it makes things more difficult for everybody else. And there are certainly people who are mm. more gifted in those things than I am. And and so, you know, letting go of some of those things have been has been has been challenging. Um mm-hmm. have has been challenging for me. Yeah, it is interesting. The older we get, and you're not quite to fifty yet, uh, but I am. I I I have to catch myself because there are things that I think, oh no 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 no, this is the way we always do things. Mm-hmm. And I think you know this. I, I remember when we when we when we switched to, you know, the message notes are now going to be on the app. So telling everybody to take their phones out and we're going to follow along that way. There was something in me that kind of thought, oh, I wonder if this is how people felt when we started putting notes in <laughs> bulletins and they had to write stuff down. Well, they're going to doodle the whole time, you know? You know what so, I had for recently like that is we, I've had it drilled into me, you know, that a service should not be any longer than, you know, 65 minutes or 70 minutes max, right? Yep. And I was challenged by a few of our staff um, a while back about, hey, people are really hungry for worship. They're, they're really wanting to stay. Well, if you look, no, people aren't leaving early. You know, if if we extend the service, we think that it's going to meet a spiritual need that 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 people have that they need to be encouraged in this, and and this is an opportunity. And I started watching it, and it's this is difficult for me. Like we, our service now is like seventy eight minutes, and I feel it. You know, once it gets past seventy minutes, I'm like, oh, this is taking. You know. And, and then I look around and I recognize, okay, you know, they're right. Like this is, yeah. this has been important for our church and God is using this time. And, and, uh, I, I need to be, need to be more flexible with it, but, uh, but it's been hard. I mean, it's just so, so drilled in yeah. that once you go past this length of time, it's too long. It is interesting. isn't it? I think post COVID the people that show up now, they really want to be there. They That's are great. longing for That's a, a word you know, non-downloadable experience. And I felt the same thing because ours was always 60 minutes. And you, you know, it goes back to the theater days when you had to get it done in 50 minutes. <laughs> right. You know? So, yeah. uh, you know, being able to to extend that a little longer, that's, that's, a, that's a good one to bring up. Okay, so over the last year, since we last talked to you, you went on sabbatical, um, but you took it at an odd time. Uh, you went in the fall rather than over the summer, which is when a lot of guys do it. So... Did it kind of sneak up on you? Was it a, hey, I think I'm probably more tired than I think. I need to do this. Uh, what what kind of prompted you to go ahead and and take a sabbatical? And what would you say about that? So you're a part of the story in a way. So I when I came out to uh, California, I came out like a, I don't remember, like a week and a half before I was preaching for you. And I was going to write. I, I had just set aside this time to crank it out. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how you are, but typically if I have like a week, week and a half, and that's all I'm doing, I, I can get in the zone. I get things done and, you know, produce a lot. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm much more productive in that week and a half than I am over the course of a year trying to find an hour here, an hour there. And so right. I, I went to, for that express purpose, to have some time alone to just write and study. And, I kept dropping that bucket into the well and nothing like it's just coming up dry. And I, I, I came out of that time. And I had like four pages. I mean, I, I just could not 
get in into it. I couldn't produce. And I, wow. I, I'd never had that before. And so it, it, it freaked me out a little bit. Um, mm. I had not experienced that before that. In fact, that has always been what I could lean on, you, you know, when I didn't necessarily feel productive or didn't necessarily feel like I was doing well in these other areas, I always knew, okay, if I just get some time by myself to study and to write, I'll, I'll knock some stuff out. And so when I came there, I, I, I preached for you on that weekend. I came back here and I met with a few of our leaders um, and said, hey, I, I think I just need some time off. I think I need a month. Um, I just need a break. I think the way I worded it to them was, I didn't think about this at the time, but you know, I think I said, I just need to be left alone for a month. And... Um, and they listened and came back like the next day and said, hey, we're thinking three months. And I was like, hey, <laughs> I don't want to take three months. Like I was almost immediately resistant. That wasn't something I would have chosen. I think they knew I hadn't been myself for a little while. I think when I expressed some of the frustrations uh, that I was feeling and why I needed a month off. I think it it also convinced them uh, you probably need more time than that. And mm -hmm. and there's some debate as to whether or not that would have been forced upon me had I not chosen it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. Uh, but but um, I, I went home and I talked to my wife about it, and she was like, you know, well, why are you why are you resisting this? Like, why, why wouldn't you receive it? Yeah. And, and I, and I knew the answer was pride. Like, I, I mean, I knew the answer. I, yeah. I, you know, I didn't have a good reason other than pride. And, um, mm. and so, and, and so I had a, th a three month break and I, I am grateful. I, th I think one of the ways that God prunes us is, you know, he uses other people to do some things that maybe we wouldn't have chosen ourselves. Like the pruning process almost always is, doesn't just happen mm. by what we choose, right? In other words, like one of the ways you know it's God pruning is it's not what you would have necessarily wanted or, or it required you to submit. You submit to pruning. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that was true. Like that was true for me. And, and, and those three months went by, you know, really quickly. And there was a lot of wisdom in, in them doing that. Can you walk us through kind of your strategy? Did you have one? A lot of guys go into it with, you know, I'm going to do read 50 books and I'm going to take these trips and download all this information. And some guys are like, I'm going to lay on a beach for 90 days or whatever it is. Did you have a strategy going into it? Did you have a plan or did you happen into one? Hey, let me interrupt this podcast for just a second to remind you, if you're not taking care of your mental health, nobody is. Step up and go check out sagacenter.org to find out more. All right, back to our show. Well, I was given some loose guardrails or direction um, where the first month would be a time to rest, the second month would be a time to receive, and the third month would be a time to re-enter. And I think in hindsight, that was pretty wise. It, it took me a little time to get into the rest because I hadn't planned on it. You know, ideally, 
in this situation, it would have been much better to say, you know, next year I'm going to take this time and I'm going to plan out that rest uh, because it wasn't necessarily planned. My rest was um, was a little bit slow in coming, and uh, so so that was that was a little challenging. But the second month uh, is when I actually wrote most of this book which I really enjoyed. It had been such a long time. I don't know if you can relate to this, but it had been such a long time since I'd been able to write right. and just sit and write and not not feel like I was doing it around sermons or around meetings. And, um, and so that ended up being a very replenishing thing. And then I was intentional to write about something that was going to help me process um, you know, what God was wanting to do in me during that time. And, uh, and I'm really glad I did. Like, I, I think I went against the counsel of some by trying to write a book on a sabbatical, but, but I knew, and not everybody's wired this way, but I knew for me that that would be helpful. Like I knew it would be healing. I knew it would be redeeming. I knew that it would help me process what God was wanting to do. It's funny to re- go back and read some of it now because, you know, I have a little bit of that, uh, vulnerability hangover where I'm like, at the time I was feeling real vulnerable and now I'm like, eh, you know, uh, but I think that was part of the, I mean, I think that's part of what God was wanting to do. And so, um, I did that in the second month and then the third month began to spend a lot more time dreaming and thinking through, frankly, what I should have done pre-transition. Like, I didn't have any time before the transition. I didn't have any time to stop and to think and pray and dream and and address what other parts of our church needed transitioned. Like we didn't do any of that. Um, I think we had good intentions of doing it, but we just didn't. I think in part because I'd been on the team so long, it just felt like it would be natural mm-hmm. and uh and so, like when I I went during this time to meet with like a, a, a transition leadership transition coach, right? And he said, "Hey, can you pull up your transition plan for me?" And I'm on my computer, acting like I'm like I'm putting in the search transition plan. Like I know nothing's there. <laughs> like I know, but uh, but what popped up was actually a transition plan between Bob and Dave. And I started looking at that and realizing how intentional we were with some of the other transition pieces that needed to happen for them to transition well, mm. and just recognize that we didn't do that. We just didn't do any of that as far as transitioning different positions or structure. Um, we, we had not done that. And so the third month of the sabbatical became more about that. Mm. So can you reveal any of that to us? What's that look like now? Oh, um, so when I looked back at the transition plan between Bob and Dave, like they were really intentional to transition uh, in some new elders um, that would, would be fresh with Dave. And um, I think that was really helpful. I, th- I think because I'd been an elder the past 10 years, not, that didn't seem very necessary. Um, hmm. But bringing in some new people, I think, is, is really healthy, uh, you know, for the organization. And, and, and so we were intentional with some of that. And then, um, and then just the structure of how we were working, you know, I, it was me and an executive pastor. 
Um, and and then we transitioned it to where um, instead of just having one executive pastor, we have three, and um, and that's been really helpful to me. Um, mm. And it's mu- but it's much more around my strengths and my weaknesses, right? Um, and, and and so we were in, we were intentional with that, um, and we probably should have been that way before, but. I just been here so long. I, I don't think, I just don't think we did that as well as maybe we could have. I just love the fact that you started searching for something you knew wasn't there when you typed in transition plan. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Let me, let me pull that up here. Uh, okay. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the book. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Um, what's, where'd it come from? Obviously you were in a place of, you know, emptiness, but you already had the idea. I imagine you probably already had a book, you know, a contract signed and now you got a deadline. And so what's the book like? Well, I did change, I did change it considerably. I I knew that my anchor passage was going to be um, John 15, verse five, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. And I think because I wrote this during the sabbatical, it helped me fall, what's the phrase, you know, fall in love with the problem, right? Like, instead of focusing so much on the solution, being able to better understand the problem and the apart from me, you can't do anything aspect of the message became much more broad, much more personal um, than it was prior. And so I, I talk in the book just about, you know, the journey of recognizing, okay, my, my way is not working here. I, I had a friend of mine, you know, who said, hey, why don't you go see a buddy who's an executive coach? And, you know, m- me, me thinking, oh, that sounds good. I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. I probably need an executive coach. <laughs> and uh, it sounded important. And then like getting... 20 minutes into the conversation with the executive coach and saying, Oh, you're a therapist. You know, you're, you are, you're, you just call yourself an executive coach. So people like me will call you and make an appointment with you. And, um, and he just helped me recognize, you know, there's some things in my life that were not sustainable. And I, I began to document a little bit more in my, journal and then in my conversations with other pastors. It was interesting as you, I mean, not, surprising to you, but when when you're on a sabbatical like that, you start to hear from all these other friends, you know, pastor um, friends who have have been on that journey, who, who are on that journey. And so as I listened to them, and as I journaled my way through that, I started to recognize these consistent kind of symptoms of my way not working, I think this is true for everybody. It's not exhaustive. I mean, it could be more than this, but I, I talk in the book about just these four symptoms of of discouragement, kind of leading with a lack of courage. Um, and when it's ongoing, it it really starts to not just affect you, but the people you lead. You know, you you just can't sustain that. And so, yeah. when you're leading with a lack of courage or discouragement, 
it, it begins to work its way through, you know, the organization. And I, I was seeing that. And then I talk in there about uh, the underlying frustration. Um, I'm not easily annoyed as a person. I don't get, you know, frustrated with people very easy. But I, I was irritable. I mean, my wife, like, called me out on that. And I was, like, you know, <laughs> immediately irritated <laughs> with her observation of my irritation. Like, it... Like I, I was just more on edge with people than would be my nature. And then, uh, just fatigue, just feeling tired. I, I thought there was something wrong. I thought I need, I got low T. That's what I thought. I, I, I went to the, my doctor and I'm like, can you give me some testosterone or something? And he's ran all the tests and he came back and he's like, you're fine. You don't need anything. You, yeah. you know, you're just, you're, you're just worn out. And then, um, and then the other one was anxiety. I, one of the things I learned about anxiety in this process is even if you don't feel it emotionally, that it surfaces in you physically. And that was true for me. Like I didn't, if you would have asked me about feeling anxious or, you know, depressed around some things, I, I don't think I felt that emotionally, but physically there were these different signs that I was um, anxious over things that I had no control over. And so I, I, I just talked my th way through that in the book of, hey, here's my journey in this. Here's, uh, here's what I've seen with other people. You know, these are the symptoms of there's something in your life that, that is uh, not aligned. Um, and, and I talk about it more as a connection problem where I want to treat it as a production problem. In other words, I look at these things and I think the way to fix it is to double down on effort and give, yeah. you know, here, I want to work my way out of it. And, and connection is the one thing I don't feel like I have time for, but that's the one thing that is most needed. And, and the sabbatical helped, helped me, forced me to, to recognize that. What's the title of the book? Uh, when your way isn't working. Oh, I love that. Are you one of the guys that you just, you get the title right off the bat or does it develop over time? Uh, I, I typically have like three or four titles and I don't know which I want to go with, you know, and then I, I get other people's input and then kind of go that direction. Oh, kind of like a sermon series. Yeah. Speaking of, I wanted to ask you, what are you excited about? What's coming up? What's, you got a sermon series that you're about to do, you're going to do in the you know next year that you're like, man, I can't wait to do this. Do you feel like, do you feel like whatever sermon series you're in is your favorite? Yeah. Well, do you ever feel that way? Yeah. Occasionally, I'm. Yeah, like, most of the time. Wait. Fair. That's just to get over. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Most of the time. Uh, so I'm I'm in this series right now, um, called One Thing Leads to Another, and we have. You know, we have some kids that are similar in age. It, it came from the conversations I kept having with my, you know, 18 to 23-year-old kids where they would feel this anxiety over what they were going to do, what five years was going to look like for them. And, um, and I would always say to them, hey, one, you know, one thing leads to another. You're focused on this over here, but you don't know how these dots will get connected. And, um, and so I'm, I'm in this series talking about the unfolding will of God in your life out of uh, the life of uh, Joseph in Genesis. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm just amazed at how many people have their faith questions are really around 
God, what's God's will for my life specifically. Yeah. And, um, and so that's the series I'm in right now, which I'm enjoying a lot. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I remember when I was that age and that was my number one question. What's God's will for my life? And now that I'm, you know, older, it's still the number one question people ask me at all ages of their life. Yes, I just yeah. thought it was a young adult question, but it's a that's it's true. An everybody question, isn't yeah. it? It is. I think as you get older, like m one of the exercises I've, I'm doing with uh, our staff is having them reverse engineer God's will for your life. Like, just go back and mm. and as you do that, in a, in a similar way that the life of Joseph demonstrates, your confidence grows, your faith grows that, okay, I can't see it from here, but if these things have been true, then these things will be true. And so I think as you get older, you ask that question just as much, but hopefully your faith in the unfolding will of God it has deepened. You know, uh, we have a mutual friend in Mark Moore, and we were having a conversation one time, I think actually on the podcast about God's will and branched into how how predetermined are we and Calvinism and all of that. And he said, well, I'm not a Calvinist, but the more I look in the rearview mirror, the more I see things kind of line up. Uh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's right. Well, Kyle, this has been great. It's always fun hanging out. Um, I, I got to tell you, uh, when you were out to teach for us back in uh, almost a year ago, it was it was so fun to see you at Real Life, which is the church you started, and it was so fun for some of our people that were there as the scaffolding to get the church going to see you and um, just to have you back at uh, at the place in California. And your message was great, and I got to tell you this funny story. Um, <laughs> the other day, we're in a meeting, and somebody's going over the 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 top messages downloaded at Real Life Church over the last I don't know fifteen years or whatever. Number one is always John Burke. Uh, okay. Heaven, you know, yep. con people continue to download that. <laughs> okay. Number two, Kyle's message. Come on. Okay. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I've been here 20 years and this guy yeah. continues. It's unbelievable, man. Well, <laughs> hey, it, I loved it. It meant so much to me. It meant so much to me to more than I thought it would. Like I was excited about it. Uh, but I think I told you this. Yeah, it was more emotional for me than I thought it would be. Maybe because I needed a sabbatical at the time. <laughs> but it uh, but it meant it meant a ton to me. Well, that's great, man. Loved having you. Okay, buddy. Well, thank you so much for your time. And everybody, the book is uh, when your way isn't working. And what's the release date on it? Uh, June sixth. June sixth, coming out right around the corner. All right. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, brother. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you share this with a friend and subscribe as well. Next week, we're going to be back with three books to read this summer. Part of Simple Faith is figuring out the stuff to put in our head. One of my favorite things to do is read. I'm going to give you three books that you can read or listen to on Audible if you'd like. But three books to read this summer next week. Thanks for listening. And as always, keep it simple. Keep it simple.